All right, welcome to the Two Sons Podcast. Uh, it's been two weeks since our last episode. Um, again, we've been dealing with our uh, conflicting work schedules a little bit, but from what I understand, November 15th, which is literally two months and some change away, uh, Luke starts his new gig with a better work schedule. We're going to start doing a lot more content. We're going to start doing NFL yep. stuff. We're going to start doing some Game of Thrones stuff. Always Star Wars stuff as well. We're going to be doing it all, but we gain the flexibility to do it at that point as well. Plus, if you've ever noticed during these episodes, we kind of keep our voices down a little bit. It's because <laughs> Wednesday mornings is the only time we can find where we have time to meet up. And his wife, who happens to be a nurse, works overnight, and so she's sleeping. And <laughs> we have yeah. to stay quiet. <laughs> she's like, shut up about Thrawn. It's like, oh, it's just my husband and his Star Wars podcast. You yeah, know, that, that's why I can't sleep. <laughs> my adult husband who has a Star Wars podcast with his best friend. My adult husband who's also a doctor who is doing his Star Wars podcast. Yeah, anyway. but I mean, plan is we're going to make a studio. I've got a wood shop slash garage and we're going to make that shop, into... Luke. It's pretty much a wood shop, yeah. <laughs> and we're going to make that into a podcast room as well. So we'll yes. see how that works. People are probably dying on the other side of this. They're like podcast room, sawdust and, and electronics, but we'll it's make it work. It's worth the mesothelioma, don't you think? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I'll get an air filter. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so today, um, even though it's only been two weeks, <laughs> I don't even think that's me- uh, medically correct. I no. just wanted to throw a big long uh, disease I like out. It, yeah. Um, so, uh, we're going to be doing, um, even though it's only been two weeks, we have both finished the second Thrawn book because it was outstanding. Yeah. One of my favorite Star Wars books I've ever read. We're going to dive into that today. Uh, we're also going to be doing a, uh, a little follow-up on Luke and I watching The Force Awakens together uh, two weeks ago. Um, that will be probably... It's the best re- of the worst. Yes, it's the best <laughs> of the worst. We're going to... Uh, that'll probably be released as a separate episode, but that is what we are recording today. Um, and then we're both, we both have already just barely started the third Thrawn book. Um, yeah. and so we'll be, we'll be getting into that probably, you know, two weeks from now as well. Which I'm already loving. I've listened to probably 20 minutes of it and I'm already liking it. Mm-hmm. Just love it. I'm a little bit further along than you and same. Um, yeah. so I'm going to, I'm going to throw you a curveball here to start mm. because, uh, so the the ultimate premise of the second Thrawn book is that Darth Vader and Thrawn go on this mission together to search out a disturbance in the Force that Palpatine felt out in the unknown regions. Yeah, just best friends out on an adventure. Just, just two two two, be- <laughs> two, two best friends that anyone could ever have out in you know just a, a Sith Lord in armor and, and a Chiss uh, general. Anyway, so uh, we're gonna um, get to that for sure. But I wanted to. I'm gonna start with the curveball here because okay. I think Star Wars is building towards something. I have a theory. Yeah. So the ultimate enemy. That uh, Thrawn and Vader end up dealing spoilers, with spoilers. Spoilers. Yeah, right this now. is big time spoilers. <laughs> Every, this whole episode is spoilers. Just, just non, non just stop spoilers. <laughs> so uh, anyway, the ultimate enemy enemy that the that Thrawn and Vader end up facing in this book is known as the Grisk. Right. Okay. Now, in the uh, in the beginning of this is their first time getting introduced, and it's still a little bit foggy. But we learn a lot more about them in the very beginning of the next book, which I right. don't think you quite have gotten to yet. But no. but basically, they are 
they are a species of mystery that lives out in the unknown regions. Thrawn, Which apparently there's a lot of those. Like the Chiss were that, are that still, yes. and then the Grisk. Exactly. And so so in the beginning of the first book, when uh, when Mithran Yorodo meets Palpatine for the Look first at time. you busting out the full name, <laughs> True proper, Star Wars fan. The proper pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Of course, there's a scene in the book where Anakin's just being a jerk and just is like deliberately mispronouncing his name <laughs> time and time again. <laughs> anyway, so uh, uh, Palpatine is is basically interviewing Thrawn for the first time, and and Thrawn basically states like there are things out in the unknown universe yeah. that are a legitimate unknown regions, excuse me, that are a legitimate threat mm-hmm. to the the galaxy, including the Empire, and you might need me to help defeat them right. one day. So. <clears throat> Basically, uh, what's in the the Grisk are in the unknown regions. We don't know yeah. anything about them. Even the Chiss don't know anything about them. There's like rumors and theories. Right. No one even knows where they're from. Some people believe they're nomads. They yeah. could be from anywhere. Yeah. And there's a bunch of different things. They're they're a warrior culture that believes in conquering. You yeah, they learn, love to domineer. Yeah, you will learn more about that at the very beginning of the third book. Um, because they're, you learn, you get to meet some of their, na- uh, some of their specific, um, military members and learn their names and their, mili- oh, nice. their military positions are like, like they're literally named like conqueror, you know, oh, or, wow. or person of conquest or things Damn. like that. Like, and then we're going to dive into, uh, we're going to dive a little deeper into their client species, the way they can dominate a species to try to, to, uh, get them to, uh, help them essentially but, work for them. Yeah, exactly. But this is, so this is where I'm going to throw you the curveball. So. Uh, you have not heard too much about this species, but in the original legends, mm. there was a species, a nomadic alien species that invades the New Republic, known as the Yuuzhan Vong. They are, you love. They are yes. I, they were a very very interesting Star Wars right. concept. They because uh, they use like natural ships, correct? Yeah, they had living ships, which the Grisk do not. So there's not. Right. It's not a direct parallel, but. Uh, my theory is that the um, that this is this is Disney canon trying to essentially come up with uh, a replacement for the Yuuzhan Vong. Oh, I see. Which is what they were called. Yeah. And the Yuuzhan Vong eventually launch an, a full scale invasion of the New Republic mm-hmm. and have a great deal of success. They capture Coruscant. It, it gets ugly, and and it turns into a war of a scale and a consequence much greater than even the uh, rebellion or wow. the clone wars. It's a huge deal. And so I think that this is, this whole story is setting up the framework for that. So I wanted to, my question for you is your initial impressions of the Grisk and how big of a threat you see them. And if you think this is Star Wars building towards something or if it's just plot material for a Thrawn for trilogy. For a book, for a Thrawn yeah. trilogy. I think, I think they're going to build into it. I really do. Mm-hmm. Because they've made such a big deal developing Thrawn and I don't think they would have made such a big deal developing Thrawn unless there is a true reason for them to do so. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny because when, when you read the first book, you're trying to figure out, you know, Thrawn's uh, angle on all this. Like why would Thrawn give up his entire life? Why would the Chiss give up Thrawn who is an amazing military mind and essentially give him up to the empire? And I think number one, they were worried about the empire, but they also know about, you know, the Grisk and, and probably there's, there's probably other, potential hazards that are out there that we don't know. Yeah, exactly. So I think that, I think that this is leading into something big. Um, per our other predictions, I do think that this is going to be related to Ahsoka somehow. And I really hope that we see Thrawn and Ahsoka. 
uh, together in, in the Ahsoka show. In general, the, 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 what they are trying to set Thrawn up as is a, a genuinely good being. Mm-hmm. Like, even, even when he has yeah. to be ruthless, it's as a means to accomplish his, his orders. Let's talk about that really quick, though. So, um, so I, I've been trying to get as much Thrawn as I can. Like, after starting these books again, I've gone through all, like, the Rebels shows that have Thrawn in them. And there is one part that I'm struggling with in Rebels. And maybe you remember this. Uh, can maybe I you guess? Know. Yeah. Is it when he opens fire on Lothal? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, it's just so unlike him. It's unlike him. So, so like, you know, something that Jason and I like to do is like when we can, we like to, you know, close the gap in plot holes potentially for star Wars, right? Like Jason and I do our best, I think to like rationalize potential mistakes in the star Wars universe and like make them make sense. I'm kind of struggling with that one. The only thing that I can think of, so for for our viewers that don't know what we're talking about, in the final episode of Rebels, season finale on the last season, um, there's a part where uh, the Chimera, which is Thrawn's ship, is is above uh, the city. And, and the Rebels infiltrate the facility, right? If I yeah. remember correctly. Yeah. And they're bombarding it, essentially trying to get, they're bombarding the city, trying to get the Rebels to do what they want them yeah. to do. So at some point the rebels say, okay, like we'll, we'll, we'll stop, we'll do it. And then Thrawn's order is to continue the, the bombardment, which is very uncharacteristic of what we see Thrawn in this show. And the only thing that I can rationalize it is like, maybe he felt like the rebels were just getting way too out of hand. And he was just trying to snuff out any potential uprising, um, with, within the city that might not even have been, the rebels like maybe he was just destroying saying like hey this is getting out of hand he likes orderly he likes things to be orderly you know and and i'm wondering if that was just his way of snuffing it out or it was just good cinematics and they needed a villain in the show and let him go crazy a couple different things so first of all the direct concept you're referencing is like throughout the books and really throughout rebels in general he's so incredibly respectful of his enemy right and he doesn't believe in the needless loss of life that is a like in in the thrawn book he books he has never once ordered someone's death unnecessarily and furthermore that's one one of the reasons why he's trying so hard to rise in the empire is because he wants to be able to be in control of decision making to to save life yeah yeah like to to limit that specific problem now my a couple things first of all there's two two explanations one either disney did not realize how big of the how big their plans were for thrawn and they're somewhat stuck in the sense that uh, that that episode was just produced so long ago that it doesn't fit with their current vision for Thrawn, which is mm-hmm. possible. I would well, say apparently that this book came out around the same time, and then oh really? Yeah, and then Thrawn, from what I know, is Timothy Zahn's character from uh, Legends material. So when I was oh, looking okay. at the release dates for for um, for these books and for Rebels, it was around the same time. Interesting. I, for some yeah. reason, I thought these books were newer, but I guess not. I could be wrong. Um, uh, no, but it, that could be right because I think the first one was 2017, which is a pretty long time ago. That's five years ago now. Yeah. And Rebel, that's I think Rebel season two or three were coming out around that time. So you're right. I think 2017, 2018 yeah. time frame. I and could so, be wrong, but so then that lends credence to my second theory, which is uh, Thrawn wins every time. True. In the books yeah he, he is yet to be bested yeah it is possible that kane and jarrus and the rebels 
actually frustrate him to the point of, of <laughs> losing true. his character. Like that's, literally, that's a like, really good point. Like yeah. they, they routinely escape him. Yeah. And um, as a matter of fact, the beginning of this Thrawn Alliances book involves anger that Vader feels towards Thrawn for him losing at Adalon. True. And he just the keeps rebels. bringing it up. And yeah. he keeps bringing it up. Uh-huh. And he blames it on his softness, basically. Yeah. Um, Palpatine is has has Thrawn's back and realizes it right. wasn't his fault. But Well, and even going from that, even if it's strategy. So, so even if Thrawn wasn't lashing out, but there, there may be a strategic... Um, angle that Thrawn's taking with that where he is trying to show the Empire that he can be ruthless if needed and maybe that's how he's trying to keep his position as well because if he just like just danced around the fact that you know he was getting beat by rebels you know I I think the I think Palpatine specifically would want to see him show some 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 um, aggression essentially it's very possible that he communicated with Vader and Palpatine after the facility was infiltrated And then they ordered him to open fire on the facility. The point is, is that's explainable. It's It's explainable. explainable. Yeah. 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 Even though it doesn't seem great. But anyway, Um, so to to get back on track here. So like basically the... uh, the Yuzan Vong concept, mm-hmm. it's it's just something I want to drop in here because I have a feeling that there's a chance that in the future we'll be tying back into this conversation. Seeing some parallels. When the Grisk become a bigger threat. Yeah. Um, it kind of fits within Disney's want, I think, uh, unnecessarily, but a want that I think that to get away from the traditional Sith versus Jedi concept, which I disagree with, but that if that, that if they were to go that route, I would support it at least. It could be interesting. Yeah. It could be really interesting. Like, I um, found it more interesting than the Nile. That's exactly. So, and it is, it does parallel the Nile in some degree with the uh, high Republic books, right? Yeah. Cause so, the Nile are just drugged up raiders. That's really all they are. <laughs> that listen to like, uh, what do they call it? Space rock or yeah, something space, like that. Yeah. Some kind of space rock, space punk rock, <laughs> space punk rock. And they just get crazy. No, I agree. They're a lot more sophisticated and, uh, I think lethal is how I look at them. Exactly. Like I, I think of, uh, I think of like the, the Nile as like this dysfunctional band of of you know marauder marauders marauders, yeah. marauders that that just wreck things in their path and if like one of them accidentally kills themselves they're like ah oh, no big deal but All, the grisks seem a lot more calculated they they're calculated more like of a warrior tribe that's more uh like disciplined yeah but like the one that, uh, we do we're underselling it a little bit markion Rowe is fascinating we don't have to get too much he is. but yeah he's he's fascinating but my point is is like keep your eye on this grisk concept because i could see it coming up in live action right. in the future it could also also directly be what like it could be that Ahsoka finds Thrawn and Thrawn's like hey I'm no longer with the Empire I need your help to deal with this threat. oh you know it's you, very possible good guy Thrawn. and the entire Ahsoka series could be based on See? risk like that's the kind of thing that could, I honestly that still think towards. that Thrawn could end up being good because when the Empire ceases to exist what obligation does he have to continue those motives well like you know? what we were just talking about yeah I mean he has First of all, he he is uh, loyal to the Chiss, which I think is going to be the centerpiece of the third book, uh, or one of the centerpieces to the third book. Um, so we know he's loyal to the Chiss, but he's also loyal to life, is what we we found out. So I mean, I, I I do think that Thrawn could end up being good guy Thrawn. Yeah, and so we know that Ahsoka asks that chick, the uh, the magistrate. She asks the magistrate, "Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn?" And it's very possible that she just says like, 
he's not working for anybody in the empire anymore. Like mm. we don't know where he is. And then maybe he's with the Chiss ascendancy. Maybe. Anyway, we, we won't, we won't pontificate about it anymore, but that's it. I'm very, very interested to see where all that goes. So the, the next direction I wanted to go with this was the dynamic between Vader and Thrawn and yeah. Palpatine. So this, the second book opens with the, the two of them standing in front of Palpatine. Uh-huh. And uh, there's a little bit of tension hanging in the air because this is right after Adalon. And right after Thrawn lost Kanan Jarrus and his rebels, they to the Bendu, yeah, to the Bendu. So, um, which I need to, I'm still rewatching Rebels. I need to re refamiliarize myself with a lot of that stuff. But anyway, so Vader seems to have immediate contempt for Thrawn because yeah. he kind of represents everything that he's not. Is my theory. Mm. So where I wanted to start with this is like the the direct differences between the two because the pathway that the book follows is in this journey out to the fringes of the unknown regions because Batu is in empire space it's in it's in empire control space. just barely yeah. just barely and then they go further into the unknown regions to um, to get to the the planet where the separatist base is and stuff like that but basically mm-hmm. the story follows two timelines the timeline uh, towards the tail end of the Clone War before Count Dooku's death. Yeah. When um, Anakin and Padme, one of Padme's handmaidens, discovers a separatist operation in the Unknown Regions. Mm-hmm. And basically, when uh, a signals to Padme, she gets killed, the handmaiden does. And then Padme goes out to uh, to try to figure out the problem. Anakin has to finish a mission for the for the Galactic Republic, so yeah. he's late to get out there. But that storyline uh, follows uh, uh, gets like told at the same time as Thrawn and Vader going out to the same planet for a separate mission to discover right. a, a disturbance in the Force. And in in the the old timeline, uh, Anakin ends up meeting. Mithron Yorodo. Right. It's such a cool concept. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's incredible. Um, I thought the peak of the dynamic, because Thrawn, like, so smart. He's like, this is the same dude. Like, Thrawn's like... Okay, bro. Like, <laughs> I know. I, I know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Anakin Skywalker is dead. Okay, bro. I know. Like, you know that I know. <laughs> you know that I. And it's it kind of gets embarrassing for Vader at the end Dude, when I know. he keeps like saying like Anakin Skywalker's dead, and he's like, Yes, yes. Okay, okay, okay. So I've heard, and it's actually kind of funny because at the end there's like a moment of acceptance from Thrawn where instead of saying so I've heard like he says all the other times yeah. he says I know kind of like sadly. Well, and and there's that really cool part too where even though he, Vader's saying. Hey, Anakin's dead. Thrawn's still like, well, uh, something about like the idea of 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 Anakin still lives on, or something like that, or like yeah, his he, legacy lives his on. His legacy yeah. lives on, which I thought or was I will continue so to cool. Honor his legacy, is which I thought was so cool. So, what's your favorite? Because I have I have my guess. I had a moment. It was one of my favorite Star Wars moments, actually. But I want to hear what your thoughts are. What was what was your favorite moment in the Thrawn Vader dynamic in this book? If you can, I want to see if you can guess what I'm hinting at. You have like 10 seconds. So, well, first, I, there was one part that I thought was odd, not my favorite. Okay, let's hear it. Thrawn really knows how to get some trust from somebody. Like over and over and over, he's like, trust me, Vader. And Vader's like, shit. Yeah, all right. <laughs> okay, he's fine. never been wrong. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, I did. I Actually, I think the my favorite dynamic was, or my favorite part of their relationship was after Vader got to get into the di- TIE Defender. And they end up, 
like having like a productive conversation about with each other defender. about the tight defender and how to and how to like more powerful weaponry <laughs> improve it yeah but other than that i will vouch for the ship's right. project yeah like right. that kind of thing yeah that was my favorite vader basically loves flying the tie defender which is cool because right. it's kind of cool because like at its core it's anakin skywalker the pilot which is yeah. the moment i was trying to hint at so we are going oh, yeah. to the, the chiss it turns out that the disturbance in the force is these the fear coming from these young chiss girls and these young chiss girls as it turns out are force sensitive and the grisk have captured them and the reason why is because these girls their force uh sensitivity manifests as precognition the ability to see the future Mm -hmm. in the unknown regions there and this is a concept that is dived into in so many different ways through the uh a Star Wars universe, not the least of which is trying to get to Exegol and you're flying through a damn nebula. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is there was some sort of cataclysmic event that took place, a, a cataclysmic uh, um, like astronomy event that took place in the unknown regions that makes it so that all of the hyperlanes are unstable. Yeah, which it, it's funny that you're talking about this right now because it's just dawning on me why the unknown regions are essentially called the unknown regions yeah. is because they're such a pain in the butt to to traverse. Exactly. And I've always wondered, like, why hasn't the Empire just been out there? It's like, that just makes sense. Okay, anyways. There's a million, and the two places that are like this are the unknown regions and the deep core. Yeah. But basically, in both yeah, of these the places, core. you can't just take a take hyperlanes. What you have no. to do is do what's called micro jumps. Yeah. And it can take days right. to, to traverse from system to system because you're going like bzz, 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 like all right. over the place and you have to do these like temporary calculations of short distances right so basically the chiss who are presumably the most powerful uh uh entity out in the unknown regions they use these four sensitive young girls as navigators mm-hmm. and and they that's how they trap they can essentially through the force, determine whether or not a jump is safe. Right. Would al- which allows them to take much longer jumps in the unknown regions and travel. So the Grisk steal a bunch of these young navigators yeah. to help them traverse the unknown regions, which is an example of their uh, great threat. Right. But at the end... Well, and they do it for a couple of reasons, too, because they like to dominate. Yep. So they're stealing... What, something the chiss, sacred yeah to exactly the what they think is sacred and then they're also using them because they want to be able to navigate more efficiently exactly yeah. and i do want to dive into that that stealing concept because that's that's very very important because i'll, I'll, I'll save it for just a second because i want to get to this specific point so there's a, a moment at the end where they need to race to mokivja and they need to beat a grisk flotilla there because there's three additional chess girls there. They're, they save a total of eight of them in the book. But it's cool because uh, 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 Thrawn goes like, hey, like, I need your help for this part of the mission. Yeah. And Vader oh, goes, and Vader goes <laughs> like, Vader in the back of his head is like, ugh, like he's patronizing me basically, like all right. this stuff. And then Thrawn goes like, no, 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 like I need you to be our navigator. To get us there faster than the Grisk yeah. because your power and the force is is more than capable of doing it. So Vader essentially has to go down into the pit and get into the navigator chair and fly the <laughs> Can you Chimera. imagine Vader sitting in front of it? <laughs> yeah, just sitting, just working a little joystick. So, he, and dude, and, and it's one of my favorite Star Wars moments. So, like, Vader's there and he's sinking into the force and, and, he, and, and Thrawn is standing on the command bridge. And uh, Thrawn starts to smile a little bit. And oh, Vader, yeah. Vader, that was a looks, cool scene. Vader looks up at him and goes like, 
are you amused by something, Admiral? And then, and then Thrawn goes like, no, not at all. Uh, he's like, it, I just had a memory. And he's like, what? And he's like, he's like, the word we use for our young navigator girls right. is like, and then he mentions like a Chion phrase. And then he goes, that directly translates in basic to Skywalker. Yeah. And like, and then he just kind of like smirks and then he walks down the bridge and then Vader like turns back to the thing. <laughs> and it's just like, like the, it's like the 17th yeah. different way that, that Theron basically rubs in his face that he knows who he is. But it, it didn't feel like that. It was more of like a sentiment, a it genuinely was. sentimental moment where Theron, like, which is the kind of thing that Theron appreciated. So like, right. I, I, I thought that was cool. And, and ultimately at the end, there That's a really is an good ex- pickup. Throughout the entire book, Vader has these doubts in Thrawn, mm-hmm. but they they always come to flu- uh, fruition. the The ultimate fear for Vader is Thrawn's loyalty because right. this Vader views this Grisk threat as not a threat to the Empire, and he basically puts a ton of pressure on Thrawn to prove mm-hmm. uh, that they were a threat. To the Empire. Do you remember what the reason why they were the threat? I'm trying to think. I think Thrawn's major point, and maybe our viewers can add in on this um, in the comments, but I think his main point was that the Grisk are essentially trying to dominate, and they're also messing with their ability to travel, anybody's ability to travel out in the unknown regions. So I think I think uh, Thrawn's point was to shut that down. It was impeding progress. The other big one was they had uh, he used military tactics to demonstrate to Vader that the Grisk had absolutely been monitoring the Empire during, oh, right, including that's what it was too, including yeah. during the Clone Wars. I forgot about that, including during the Clone Wars. And then there's actually a moment, I believe it's in the epilogue, where uh, um, where Thrawn strongly hints that it was the Grisk. Who actually? Okay, so <laughs> we're going in the weeds here. So Dar- Darth, that's what this shows about, yes, man. Exactly. Dar- Darth Bane uh, originally. Oh, works it's another Bane reference. A, Everyone, a, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Two so, Sons podcast. A podcast Darth about references. Darth Bane. <laughs> so Darth Bane works originally before he uh, gets discovered by the Sith. He works in a Cortosis mine, and the Cortosis mine is is very important because it it. it the, the, the actual material cortosis has a an immense ability to disperse energy weapons, mm-hmm. which makes them practically invulnerable to laser fire and has the unique ability when a lightsaber hits the uh, um, it hits the cortosis, it actually overloads the lightsaber short, and shuts it, it off. Yeah. yeah, it shuts it off. It's like a big deal. But anyway, so it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. <laughs> so it turns out in this Thrawn book uh, that this uh, place, Mokivja, has a cortosis mine on it, and the separatists are weaving cortosis into clone trooper armor and into the uh, uh, battle uh, droids. The battle droids. B1 and B2s. Which is really confusing on a bunch of different levels uh, if you don't know the ultimate end of the story and understand that Dooku actually works for Palpatine as well. But actually, what th- that's what you're thinking the whole time is like, oh, like they're going to like do some infiltration stuff here. This is like an ultimate like trump card in case Order 66 fails, like all right. this kind of stuff. <clears throat> it's a really but cool then concept. Thrawn basically proves to Darth Vader at the end that it's highly likely that it was the Grisk who were actually 
uh, uh, convincing the separatists to do this specific thing with the cortosis on the clone troopers and that their specific strategy involves mass infiltration rather than brute force. I see, like, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And it was, it was a super interesting concept, but essentially mm. Thrawn does prove his loyalty at the end. And the way he proves it to Vader is he announces himself to the Grisk warship as Admiral Mithran Yorodo rather than Grand Admiral Thrawn of the of Galactic the, Republic. Right. Essentially making it so that um, he's presenting the Chiss as the threat to the Grisk rather than the Empire. Right. And eventually at the end, the uh, Darth Vader relents and essentially has like an in- internal moment where he goes like, Pal, but if my master sees this person is useful to our cause, so therefore I will continue I'm not gonna kill to, him. <laughs> to support <laughs> right here him. in front of everybody. <laughs> yeah. I, I really enjoyed the, the Vader-Thrawn dynamic in the oh, whole it was book. Excellent. It was awesome. Yeah, it was super cool because they're both powerhouses, but in completely unique ways. Mm-hmm. Like Vader is just, just ultimately powerful and he's just an, an immediate threat to anybody around, around him. And then Thrawn has a completely different approach. And actually Thrawn has a completely different approach than any admiral or moff in the entire empire like right so like we see his we see his dynamic a lot with pharaoh and i thought it was really cool because throughout the entire book he's um cultivating pharaoh like he cultivated eli vanto mm-hmm. and and to the point where like pharaoh's even uncomfortable like there's that part where uh, she's in close quarters with vader and Thrawn's like questioning her in order to like make her come to a conclusion con- conclusion and she's just so uncomfortable because she's just feeling like she's going to get offed by get, Vader at any second. get choked out at any second. Like, <laughs> but my, the point is, though, it's just like, okay, so that's valuable for Pharaoh in the future, too, because then she's going to be making decisions and she's not going to have Vader looming over her. So any decision after that is going to feel easy. So it's so cool how he cultivates his his uh, his crew. And the other thing, too, is that's, that's one of the things that bothered um, Vader a lot, too, is like uh, the... Um, so Thrawn's crew, if they questioned something, they'd bring it up, which is actually incredibly productive. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, it's collaborative. My, it's collaborative. Yeah. Diversity and, of opinion. Right. And, and for example, taking my clinic, like when, when my medical assistant's like, hey, you know, are you sure you want to do this instead of this? I love when they bring that up or like, Hey, you know, on this order, did you mean it to send it to this specialist instead of this specialist? And like the fact that they're looking at that, like double checking work, it's like, like a filter I for love. It. It's so good. Yeah. And even if they're wrong, you know, a half dozen times, but the, but like two or three times they, oh. they save you from a mistake, then it's worth it. You know, it's worth it. Or even, right. even if it's not a mistake, it's just maybe a time, something that wastes some time or something. It's an inefficiency. Yeah. It's you want to be collaborative in that that brute force attitude comes with the a ton of shortcomings. Like Vader, throughout the original trilogy, just just executes anybody who lets who him stands down. up to him. Yeah, and so yeah. everyone is terrified. And, exactly, and, it, I, and that there's a case to be made that that actually is not a good no, it's not good style. at all. Well, and that's actually seen. Uh, this is a huge rabbit hole. Um, but anyways, there's a book called Outliers. Have you ever read it? Uh-uh. Um, so. Is it a Star Wars book? No, 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 no. It's not a Star Wars book. It's it's just it's. Uh, Is I it a leadership forget. book? Like a. It's kind like of like a business a, book. It's like a. It's like a book about kind of success. I don't know. It's been years and years and years since I've read it. It's been like a half decade since I've read it. So, but there, there's one part that stood out to me, and it's about pilots and how dangerous it is if a co-pilot 
who's a lesser pilot than the person who they're sitting next to can't feel like they can speak up to the point where like planes have literally crashed themselves into mountains because the co-pilot's too fearful to, to, like, to say something. So, so, and how, yeah. And how, how big of a problem it is and how beneficial it is for, uh, superiors to listen to the people who who work for them yeah in one of the most interesting dynamics throughout this entire book is is the di- the difference in approach in general between vader and thrawn right because vader is very impulsive and yes. just thinks he can brute force jedi his way out of every situation yes. and that happens with anakin in the old old timeline and it happens with vader in the new timeline right side by side in the book to the point where like even at the end of the book there's this catastrophic mistake like uh thrawn's like hey we sabotaged this factory because they end up sabotaging the cortosis factory and uh that's being put into the droids and basically it was gonna it was like a subtle defect that was gonna cause the droids to basically overload themselves after like five minutes of combat every time they'd fire their weapon it would basically slowly fry their own brain genius on thrawn's part right and so uh basically at the end of the the book Um, uh, Anakin's like, actually, I'm just going to blow up the mine. <laughs> Dude, I know. And then like Thrawn's like, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> like, like, and everyone who's working there is just like, all right, Anakin, what, what's yeah. going on here? So, dude? so uh, basically what happens is, is, uh, like Padme tries to stop him. She can't. Thrawn tries to stop him. She can't. Oh, he good can't. Old Anakin. And then, Anakin. As they're pulling away, like Anakin collapses the mine, but he stupidly forgets that cortosis basically like can offset or like disperses energy in a bunch of different ways and it ends up dispersing the blast down into the crust of the planet and basically <laughs> opening up a super volcano <laughs> <laughs> and they're all just sitting there in the ship just like yeah. oh my gosh and, and like, then the guy who lived there is just like dude this, yeah. you just ruined my world one of the locals is like on the ship with him because he helped him and he needs to depart it like literally like the like padme at one point's like well, at least the lava's not landing on the city. <laughs> and the guy's like, yeah, it's just on all of our farmland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so bad. It's it so, so messed funny. up. But, but the point is, is like, like everything Thrawn does is so calculated. He considers every contingency. There's a dope part at the end of the book where literally like Vader goes like, don't pretend like you haven't come up with a plan for how to kill me. (laughs) I know. And he kind of like Thrawn literally smirks and goes like, I've actually thought of three different ways (laughs) to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) It's so cool. He's just the ultimate tactician. Like he's just ready to go in, in all, in all, whatever happens, he's got a plan for He's thought about it all. Well, and it's kind of funny. I, I, I saw, um, I saw, this interview with Timothy Zahn and uh, he talks about how Thrawn's portrayed in Rebels and this is actually this is a take from the um, the the channel Star Wars Explained. You'll have to send me this uh, clip. It's cool. So, so the guy from Star Wars, Star Wars Explained is talking with him and he's like how do you think uh, Thrawn was portrayed in the in the movie or in the in the rebels and uh number one it made me happy that that uh timothy zahn said that he liked the way that thrawn was portrayed which i thought was cool because it's essentially you know his baby and the only time 
that Thrawn gets beat is when there's something completely unforeseeable like Bendu. Yeah. <laughs> just showing or, up. Or these giant space whales. Exactly. Could, or space octopus whales. That can, <laughs> that can, yeah. that can spread their tentacles and jump to hyperspace. Yeah, like, so, so completely. Yeah, to your point is, is Thrawn has contingency plans on top of contingency plans. Exactly. It's wild. No, and, and that, that dynamic is on display throughout the entire book. And there was, uh, I'll give Vader a little bit of credit because for being a guy who just kind of walks into every situation waving his lightsaber, the Grisk have this, like, again, more Yuuzhan Vong type, re- type references. Even though they don't use organic ships, they use a bunch of weird tech. So, for instance, like, they have the ability, they have devices that can operate as uh, gravity wells while also operating a cloaking device, which is right. something the Empire has never been able to figure out. And it does it by, like, quickly alternating between the two. They have... Um, uh, all these different types of weapons, but the, one of the ones that they end up using on Vader that has a lot of success is these like swarms of insects. Oh, that was that, so cool! That disintegrate and turn into basically rapidly hardening cement right. that will trap. Uh, and so, at one point, Vader actually walks a empty suit of armor using the force because he has a backup suit of armor he ends up walking an empty suit of armor into a room holding his lightsaber right. just to get covered in the swarms of bugs so that he can jump in after the fact and kill them all <laughs> like, the whole entire time that i was reading that i was just like how much does vader's suit cost seriously <laughs> just, just like throw it into a room and just like fake lock it for it to just get ruined you know there's a call from the emperor and he's just like he's like Really? Three more suits this <laughs> Three month? More like, dude, do you understand each one of those costs 10 million credits? You should be dead. That right. thing keeps you alive. It's literally a walking life support system. Okay. I know. The whole entire time is like, man, that's an expensive tactic. Yeah. <laughs> if you do it one more time, we're going to have to make Ad- uh, Director Credit or Admiral Thrawn give up their pet projects. That's like the plot of the beginning of the third book. But yeah. we'll, we'll get to that later. Anyway, um, I wanted to the a um, couple of quick things. The uh, the idea of the client species. So, oh yeah, the Grisk. Okay. The Grisk. Wh- what's the name of the species that they turn into the? I can't remember what it. Uh, I the ones s- with the swords. Yeah, on the their side. That, yeah, I can't remember what they're called. But there's a species of alien that they're working with that has. Um, um, well, you are ex- exceptionally needy today. She is, man. I've done nothing but pet you for a half hour and the couple times I've stopped. She was cooped up because the electrician was here yesterday, uh, so she was stuck in the back bedroom. It's yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, so the decline species uh, that they just- We're talking about Lola the dog, by the way, for anyone who's yeah, not this watching is, this and this listening is, to it. She's being incredibly demanding uh, f- about Jason's attention right now. She's very upset at him because she he, he stopped petting her. She's literally stomped on my foot and has gotten into my personal space now. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, the, the Darshi. See, the thank you. See, Lola distracted me just long <laughs> enough for me to remember. So, yeah. so the Grisk, basically what the, what the Grisk do, and this is really interesting- they basically research the opponent that they're trying to oh, right. to to dominate for the sake of their own um, uh, ulterior motives. But uh, what they do is they discover something that is deeply personal and important to them, and they take it from them. Mm-hmm. So what ended up happening is Thrawn discovers that these Darshi have these ceremonial daggers that are incredibly intricate and they're not meant for combat except for ceremonial combat. They're just like a, a cultural status status symbol. Mm-hmm. And he discovers this by finding out that their sheaths don't match with the ones that they're actually carrying. Which who would notice that? Ex- you know what I mean? Exactly. Like it's ridiculous. So basically he has discovered that the, the Grisk have stolen 
these swords from the Darshi and have basically held that over their heads to force them to be their servants. Right. And that even can get extended to the Chiss concept where they're taking away something sacred to their people because these young navigators, they can't be... Um, they can't be uh, used for that long. They're only force sensitive between typically age seven and 14. And so essentially they're immensely sacred to the Chiss people. Right. And that's why, she, uh, that's why Thrawn is so hell bent on, on rescuing them. But so I'm really curious in this third book who the client species is going to be because it's kind of implied mm. that the Grisk are attempting to generate a ton of client species throughout the galaxy to serve their ultimate goals. And it's a very interesting concept and one that makes them a terrifying uh, entity. The term client species actually cracks me up, though. Like, so? Well, it sounds very... Um, it sounds like... Not like a bad thing, but it's actually a terrible thing to be a client species to the grist. <laughs> grist, right? Like, could you imagine that would suck? What's your thoughts? Okay, so um, again, we, we've we've talked about some of the uh, ways, or at least me personally, the ways that I've viewed uh, at least employees of the empire has changed um, in the sense that, like, it's just a lot of people who want to have a job, like Eli Vanto, for example. Or, or how Thrawn's really not a bad guy, even though before reading these books, I always thought he was. Um, Commodore Pharaoh. Um, Pharaoh, yeah. So what's your take on, I forget his name, the uh, Darth Vader's right-hand stormtrooper. What's his name? Oh, I can't, uh, I can't remember his name, but I know who you're talking what's about. What's your take yeah. on, do you think he's a good guy or a bad guy? He just strikes me as your textbook soldier. Yeah. Like there's, and, and you know, like there's a moment at the end, a moment that I've always thought about uh, frequently, like um, uh, throughout human history, I've always wondered if at moments where soldiers knew death was near, if they ever at the end felt like they were pawns in a game, oh. you know, like for instance, if you were fighting in World War One and you were like, man because the Archduke of something, something got killed. Now I have to die in this damn trench, you know, like, sure. like that kind of thing. And like, there's a moment like that with this guy where he's, he feel, he knows a grisk ambush is coming. He knows it's right on the other end of the door. And he's like, I'm literally going to die right now for these damn chiss girls. Yeah. Like how messed up is this? And then he ends up getting saved by what's his name? Rook. Uh, oh, Rook. Yeah, Rook, Rook is so Rook, cool. Yeah, Rook for Rebels. You remember like the little alien guy that's like a he's little golem like a little looking monkey. dude? Yeah. yeah. He ends up saving all the stormtroopers. But it's, it's such an interesting concept because I've thought about that all the time. Like, you know, uh, there are human conflicts that are that are righteous that that men are will, men and women are willing to give their lives for but there are also like political conflicts oh, yeah. that result in human death Tragic. And, yeah and uh and then also just in general like when when uh soldiers lives are put on the line for for philanthropic things like rescuing a uh, for instance these chiss girls mm. like it's like you're doing something good and but it, it, even before he opens the door, or even before the door opens, like he does, kind of have a moment of acceptance, kind of like that, like this is the soldier's life, this is what I do, right. and it's. A, but you're right, and and I think the Thrawn book has done an outstanding job of humanizing the Empire. It has at, at, on so many different levels, which is going to be interesting because in in some capacity, I think we might see that contrast with the Andor series. Oh yeah, I think we're going to see like the pompous uh, political a gluttony. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. on the side of the empire. So it's going to be interesting to see that contrast, but there's, there's obvious divides too, where, where you see people like 
Eli and 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 Pharaoh, but then that also contrasts sharply with a lot of the people who are the higher ups, the people who do want power, the people who are not just clocking in as a day job. They're like seeking something, and it might not be it, it might be evil. Uh, so I think we'll we'll see that highlighted in the Andor series for mm. sure. No, I'm excited about that, and uh, and and we'll see. And for the record, the Thrawn book does touch on that a lot. I mean, uh, Governor. Price, no, that there's Price a is little the bit. worst. This third book, man, the d- d- director Krennic sucks. Yeah. And like, and he's got this like right hand man who he sends on Thrawn's ship, and he's just a little pain in the butt. Really? Like, uh, it, just a lot of like political, like, uh, just there's just a lot of political infiltration into the military. I see. Did you have anything else from this book that you wanted to touch on? Let's play the game where you decide if this adds on to uh, Star Wars universe in a positive way, yes or no. Hell I think yes, it, yeah. absolutely. The, the, I, don't I even agree. need to there's really not go much, into it. Yeah, there's not much to be said. Uh, most definitely the first two books significantly add into Star Wars lore. Yeah, it's it's Thrawn is, is just an awesome opportunity for Star Wars to add a, a unique type of new character. I'd say I hope that they Thrawn right now. I'm like a Thrawn fangirl right now. Dude, I am totally like a Thrawn top, fangirl. Top four favorite characters other than droids in Star Wars, I think. Dude, he's like he's like awesome alien dude mixed with Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Mixed with like kind of like that classic idea that always does well which is like the villain that is righteous in a lot right. of ways like calculated that, that, yeah, the, yeah yeah dude that, just analytical yep no but i'm done i'm good 